Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with MTV News. 30 people were arrested at a Pearl Jam concert in Hartford, Connecticut on Wednesday night after a fight broke out between police and ticket holders attempting to climb over barricades to get a better view of the show. Three police officers and several fans were injured in the melee, and police said they were forced to take action when people in the crowd, which cops described as rowdy and inebriated, began spraying mace, throwing bottles, and spitting at officers. Reinforcements in riot gear were called in, but the owner of the venue shrugged off the whole incident as a minor sideshow. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're back this week we're going to take another patreon request for what may be my favorite city that pearl jam has ever played hartford connecticut it might sound boring to some it's exciting for me and yeah i'm a homer for hartford this is going to be the fourth hartford show that we've done on the podcast in 173 episodes so they only have six. We only have two more left, and there's one that I'm dying to do, and that'll happen at some point in the near future. But today we're doing 1996 during the No Code Tour because we haven't done a 1996 show what feels like a while. And this was also a Patreon request from our patron, Chris Pullman. So he's been a patron for a long time. We wanted to get this out there and, and get him his request. But there are a lot of other things that we want to address before getting into Hartford. So let's do so now. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, John. Now, the way that I want to start this, I just want to address right off the top, very recent this past weekend, we lost Taylor Hawkins, drummer for the Foo Fighters, just a, a an energetic spirit and f- so much fun to watch on stage and somebody that like is a, a true showman in kind of the same retrospects that maybe like a Keith Moon was that like you go to watch the who to watch Keith Moon and in that same sort of way like Taylor Hawkins was really the number two guy behind Dave Grohl in there in almost in the same facet that like Keith Richards would be number two behind Mick Jagger in a way you know you know what I mean so this is this is just absolutely devastating and just again shocking he was only 50 years old so this is kind of coming out of left field coming out of nowhere and especially because he had so much energy and so much life to him it kind of takes you aside and and it it kind of smacks you in the face a little bit and makes you think like we're just not immune to any of this yeah it's it's a tragedy and you wonder how much tragedy it takes 
I heard, you know, Friday night and the news started coming out that this had happened and it was just like, my God, like they were getting ready to play a show in South America, like they're on tour. And, you know, you immediately think what Dave has been through with Nirvana, obviously that, you oh, know, God. everybody Thanks. knows that story. And like this guy's having to like relive this again with his bandmate, like on tour. And like we, at this point, we, we don't know what happened, but yeah, just just awful and like the thing i've seen the most is like yeah all people from all different types of music all across the the landscape just posting things like yeah like one of the nicest people just like i said like a free spirit always always up for it always excited just full of life full of energy and you know i go back to that the the back and forth uh documentary that they did the foo fighters documentary and when Taylor comes into that movie, like he obviously wasn't the original drummer, but when he comes on, like you can just tell that he and Dave are just best friends and like not many people, you know, Dave isn't going to give that drum seat to anyone. Yeah. And this guy took it and, and made it his own and they just seem like the best of friends. And it's, it's just awful. Like just how many more, tragedies are going to be in this it seems like every year we just keep adding names to this list and of people who who shouldn't be gone and yeah it's just it's just terrible and you wonder like will they well i mean this is obviously the furthest thing from their minds right now but you wonder like will they even be able to go on like there's there's probably a i mean i we may know at this point that they're going to take their time but yeah, you, you kind of expect them to just be like yeah we're we're just done so young. I, yeah, I, I mean Yeah, I can't I can't even fathom how they would go about that right now. To yeah. especially they had a big tour obviously down in South America, but they had a big tour going on this summer, all stadium shows. I had tickets to the City Field show. Right. Right. And it's it's actually like funny, coincidental, whatever you want to call it, but the last time I saw the Foo Fighters was in October two thousand and five during the In Your Honor tour. They did a split show with Weezer where every other night one of the two bands were headlining. So according to Matt, yeah, Live on Four Legs old host Matt, he thinks that that show that we went to was headlined by Weezer. I seem to remember it was headlined by the Foo Fighters. However, I don't really remember much of what happened in the Foo Fighters set. I did go back and look at the set. It did seem like... The Weezer played a few more songs, but Weezer also has two-minute songs, so that doesn't really make much of a difference. But the one thing I do remember is that uh, Roger Taylor from Queen, and if you know anything about Taylor Hawkins, he's a massive, massive Queen fan. Like, everything that he does to go up and be the front man for, for them is basically singing Queen songs. And, like, from We Will Rock You to... Uh, somebody, somebody to, to love, love. Yeah. yeah, right. And and with Roger Taylor there, they played "Tire Mother Down," which is yeah. not a Queen song that I think I was that familiar with, and still not one that I'm very familiar with. But it, it felt like a big time moment, and one that like, when does the drummer ever get out of his seat and give it up to a legend like that, and you know, get to take the the center stage. It just doesn't happen. And he was that big of a personality. He was that important to the band that Dave 
and him made it happen. Yeah, when I saw them in, in 2012, they did Cold Day in the Sun, which is his his song from that acoustic record that they did, the, the double one. Oh, that's a fantastic record. I love that yeah, record. It's... That and his his song is one of the highlights of that. I when you know, obviously you, you pull it out, pulled it out the other night and listened to it. But yeah, I got got to see that one. So yeah, I remember that that being a real highlight. Super talented and yeah, it's just I mean, just kind of cast this cloud over everything over this weekend. Like in just now when like when things are starting to come back and like when music's starting to come back, this happens. It's like oh, it just reminds you like everything is so fragile. And you have to even think back to what happened at Ohana and how great that gathering of musicians was from Dave Navarro to Chad Smith. Yeah. It was basically a 90s supergroup that got together and Taylor Hawkins frontmaned and, and was just a fun part of that whole experience at Ohana. So I, again, like, you know, we're, we're grieving over somebody that's extremely important to the rock and roll community. And, rock and roll as a whole i don't want to get really into this conversation but like it's not like a stadium act anymore if bands weren't from the 90s 80s maybe even the early 2000s but barely it's not a stadium act anymore for new acts so after a while this is the music we grew up on this is the music that we love get it to to 20 or 30 years and I, I hate to say it but it's like what do you have left and it'll just be really depressing I, i'm i'm waiting for the one band to kind of come out that is the revival of all this that kind of is the spark plug in a sense but it's just it's just sad that as all these guys from cornell to Scott Weiland to Mark Lanigan to obviously Taylor that we keep losing them and it's just getting so narrow now and you just can't help but think of the worst unfortunately but we'll move on from that and uh, this whole episode obviously dedicated and with our thoughts with uh, with Taylor the foos and uh, and his, and his family, family and like the entire yeah yeah yeah. We'll be thinking about them the whole time. Let's uh because this past week we had some news. We had the ticket drop that happened, the 10 club, the 10 club tickets were announced and unveiled and for a lot of people they got very lucky to see those emails and thankful that including, got to including see. you. You got very lucky. I did pretty well. <laughs> I did pretty well for myself. I didn't expect to do that well. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was pretty nice. I, everything that I wanted to do I was able to get, and I didn't really expect that, especially getting Toronto because that was a rescheduled show. I didn't really think that I had, I had much of a chance at that, but apparently I did. So it was, it's really nice. So I'll be in Sacramento. I'll be in Vegas in May, and then we'll do Toronto. We'll do MSG. We'll do Camden. We'll do St. Nashville and St. Louis. So that's, that's a lot of stuff right there. And, and you decided to kind of take a little bit more of a conservative route and stick with what you have, but yeah. you still have some wheeling and dealing to do, right? Yeah. I'm looking to maybe move some things around. I've got my two from St. Louis and my one from Nashville. I'm looking to actually flip those 
So if someone's holding on to two Nashville and one St. Louis, it's not it's not GA, it's just seats. So if someone's holding on to two Nashville and one St. Louis and wants to trade, then let me know. I'm 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 all ears. But yeah, I'm just you know, I couldn't couldn't work it out to do to do anymore. But looking forward to more touring next year, hopefully, to try to yeah. try to add some more to my total. And you know what? The more you read, the more you kind of see between the lines here and think that 2023, they might not be touring for Gigaton much longer. They might be touring for another record here with Andrew Watt producing and everything like that. So I kind of foresee that happening. I think I saw a quote from Mike this past week that said, like, after these tours, we're going to go back and finish in the studio. And then hopefully uh, the next tour that we have, we'll have a new album. So they they didn't essentially the line was they didn't foresee it being a long process like it was in between lightning bolt and gigaton. So I think that's some great things to look forward to right there. Yeah, we've got 36 shows coming up starting in about five weeks. And that's the most we've had since 2006, 2005. So, yeah, like this is that it seems like they're ramping up for something. And, you know, you know, we talked about it throughout the whole last couple of years, like. When it comes back, they're gonna want to be hit the ground running. They're gonna start you. They're gonna start feeling that again. Touring keeps you young, they say. So you know, you mentioned Keith Richards earlier. Just ask him. So <laughs> right, I can I can see them just like after this is over, if everything goes well, like yeah, sign us up for to do this again next year and the next year, and and just take advantage of this while we can because you know you never know when it can be taken away. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, like I'm, I'm looking at all you guys down in Australia because I know you guys are really sure. dying sure. for it down there. And I'm hoping that January, February, whenever, uh, obviously Australia kind of has the flipped seasons. So going into those months or yep. the, the hot be, weather be and perfect. Ed's going to want to surf. So yeah, that's, that's a great spot down there. Hopefully, early 2023, you guys get your wish. And then maybe, because it's usually South America, somehow ends up being late March, early April. Hopefully, they'll be able to run that again, a couple of festival shows or whatever. And the rest of the year can just be dedicated to the rest of the world. I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm you know, I always, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a Hartford show and that's kind of your, your hometown thing and you're, it you're is. excited for those. And like, I always like cross my fingers for Atlanta and like we talk about it a lot, but I never really expect it to happen. But the thing I'm really looking forward to is they, they haven't made up that North Carolina show from 2016 that they said mm-hmm. that, that they canceled, that they said they were going to. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's, that's in the back of somebody's mind and that, that that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I my guess on all this is that there were so many because they had to reschedule everything. And think about yeah. on the West Coast, they added all these dates to the West Coast because they're not going to go out and do six shows. It's yeah. just not something that was going to happen. And I like the split. I think the, the split makes a lot of sense. But there were so many other shows that, you know, from the East Coast that were happening, especially a lot in Canada there's just so many spots that they weren't able to make like Philadelphia, Chicago, that, that, Cleveland, that Baltimore, that Baltimore cancellation. Raleigh's not that far that's, from Baltimore. Right. So that's it, hanging over there. They can yeah, do Charlottesville yeah. again. They can do, they can go back and down, down and, uh, and do Charlotte. They could do Raleigh wherever, you know, I think we're going to see some next year. Hopefully some people have been waiting a while are going to get, going to get a chance. 
they're always thinking about it, and it might take a long time. You think about like how long it took for them to go back to Florida before 2016, but I could see them going back to like Jacksonville or Tampa again. Definitely Tampa. Tampa we, seems uh, to be a good spot for them. If you if you want to tease our one state show series coming up, so hopefully some of those will get a second show. We'll next see. Year. Yeah. Hold on to that thought, and let's now head into a Hartford show from 1996. I'm going to do a little bit of the spiel. I'm not going to go overboard with this because I'll, I'll wait until we do hard for 2013. Hold on, hold on. Let me get your soapbox under you. There, there you go. So this is the first Hartford show that they did. They took the first four years and they decided, okay, let's do Boston and let's do New York. And why do Connecticut? Because it doesn't have a lot of venues that they were playing at the time that would be considered kind of Pearl Jam venues. And and once you get into 1996, you could say they're starting to play with some bigger spots now. And they're also trying to avoid Ticketmaster. So wherever they can get, and there's a lot on this tour that they kind of had to make some concessions with you. Th- you think about where the tour path is and, and they didn't go to Boston during this. They, they weren't in Boston at all. They weren't in Massachusetts. So this was the closest spot and what they had to do. And obviously everybody knows Randall's Island. They did the two nights on the 28th and 29th. And then they shot up what, like six, seven, eight hours to Buffalo, which is pretty far for the first and then right back down to this show, which happened on October 2nd. So they're kind of, they're weaving in and out, especially like Buffalo, you got to think, is pretty close to Toronto, and Toronto was done on the 21st. So they have to kind of maneuver their way around and figure out how to get around all this. So it's obviously a weird tour, but also 1996, obviously, it's the no Ticketmaster year. It's the last one that they'd really have to deal with that. and. The thing that I always usually say about Hartford and why Hartford shows are so special to me is that it's it's it is a melting pot of the northeast of Pearl Jam fans from fans from New York, fans from Boston, fans even from Philly and, and Jersey will come down and all of New England would come down to Connecticut and then you get sort of that that's where that that crowd all comes together, the melting pot of some of the loudest crowds you'll ever hear. In 1996 I don't think that's there because I think that a lot of what people were doing were still localized at the time because of how hard it was to get tickets and how difficult it was to find the outlets to to go get tickets. So I think that this is predominantly a Connecticut crowd. That's how I took this. Although I can see if a couple people from Boston saw that they weren't doing Boston on that tour that maybe they were able to find an outlet, maybe that because it was the only place in New England that other people, other places were able to find Ticketmaster outlets by them where they could purchase this show. I don't know that for a fact or not, but it's an interesting thing to stew on. But yeah, that's essentially every time we do Hartford, I have to kind of make mention to that because that's how impactful the crowd was. And the crowd story is a little bit different in this one. I don't think we'll be talking really much about like the intensity of the crowd in that manner, but maybe the intensity of the crowd in another manner. I, it's got some interesting stories here. Can't wait to tell them. But first, I'm going to just kind of reiterate something that uh, Chris Pullman, who requested this episode, he sent us an email and, and wanted to address why he chose this show. 
And he was living in North Jersey, so he wasn't there at the show. Said Hartford is not that far from me. However, I didn't make the drive to see it. For some reason, unlike bootlegs from earlier tours, it seemed like it took a while for no code shows to circulate in his area, meaning the bootlegs. As a result, I did not get anything from that tour until probably sometime in 1998. Hartford was the first show that I was able to pick up, and as a result, it received a lot of playtime. I picked it up at a record CD show for about 50 bucks. That's the, that is a lot of money. And oh. I've been to a record show fairly recently, and yeah, those, those bootlegs were still being sold for about 30, 40, 50 bucks. And especially one, a guy was was trying to sell me a Fenway Park 2016, which I clearly have the boot of and was at the show. He said, oh, I have it priced as 35, but I can go to 30. I'm like, oh, for a CD? Yeah, maybe next time. Maybe next time, man. But yeah, $50 is a lot of money for that, especially on a platform that no one's really using too much anymore. The No Code album quickly became a favorite of mine upon its release in 1996, so finally having a chance to hear these songs played live in their original forms provided a great experience. Granted, there are shows on this tour that have longer set lists that are filled with more rarities, but I'll take a solid performance of a standard set list as well. And besides, it was 1996, how much rarities did we actually have? Believe it or not, there there is a rarity in here. I'll consider definitely one song to be a rarity here and even for the time sure there's another that was on no code that wasn't quite getting consistent play like i think after the show you could say it was off to the races for it but it's in a pretty prominent spot and i think we're gonna have a lot to talk about with that one why not get into talking about the entire show now thanks for the story chris and uh Hopefully we get to do this justice. I was very happy to see his request and then Jacob's request that we did back in October kind of come to fruition at the same time. Like, ah, I got too, we got too Hartford. Where are all the Atlanta requests coming from? They're coming from John, everybody. So we'll, we'll get to it at some point, but throwing some shade early on. It's going to be, eh, a- well, you've thrown some shade, shade at Hartford shows for me too. So it's, it's only <laughs> you fair. Make it, you make it too easy. I'll I'll come I'll come back in September. We'll have this conversation again. It'll be True. fun. Yeah, yeah. So, the intro on stage is this drum rhythm sound. It's kind of like a precursor to Red Dot with a little kettle drum in there. And I think they were doing this for most of the No Code tour in '96, where they were playing this before they took the stage. And as they take the stage, all you hear are Eddie. Eddie, Eddie, which I'm sure Eddie's just kind of rolling his eyes on because it's like, all right, we got the whole entire band here. It's not just me, everybody. Especially at the time, Ed wants the focal point off himself. So the first one that we get in this set is Long Road, being the first ever song performed in Hartford, Connecticut. (laughs) That's a stat that I like. Anybody else?
the recording on this bootleg sounds very, very good. Crystal clear. You get a taste of all the moving pieces, especially you hear Jack really, really well. You hear the guitars really well. And I think that Jack is obviously going to be somebody that's going to be brought up a lot during this. But right from the beginning, you're able to kind of hear just that that rhythm mixed in, the, the tom mixed in with the cymbal usage. And it's almost sounding... The way that he's he's kind of hitting the cymbals, the way that he's perfecting those tom hits, it's almost sounding like they're coming from two different entities, like two different people are playing that rhythm because it doesn't sound like it's the same rhythm. It's so unique and he's it's so precision perfect that he's able to play it like that. And that's what made this version sound very, very good. That's the polyrhythms that he can do. Like that's his background and like this long road is very good. This I mean for only the seventh time that they played it, this is incredible. That's amazing and, to say that. Yeah, the beat that Jack plays on this is unlike anything that I've ever heard on this song before, and it's just amazing. I'm just transfixed, like, listening to, the, to him play on this. Like I said, it sounds really clear for 1996. It's not A+, plus, but you can definitely tell, oh, it's just, it's fantastic. It's a perfect way to start this show. It sounds excellent. The build is very good. The only thing that you don't really get is Ed kind of cracking his voice too much. He's staying pretty even keel, but this is a good warm up for what's going to happen. This main set is going to be very intense very early on. And once we get to rear view mirror, Ed's going to be like, okay, uh, I need some help here. So we'll, we'll address that when it comes time to address it. But oh my God, this three headed monster after long road. This is like the ideal two, three, four of any set of hitting each record and uh, the, the transition to the transition from long road into hail hail is just oh, it's perfect it's oh. so good like a punch in the face yeah you can feel the impact from whoever was recording this on a dad or whatever you feel it in this recording that's that's hard to do just a complete energy shift right after this you can you're right you can feel the room move and this is pretty standard 1996 even 1995 with the latter two of these songs but you know what it's such an easy combination to get hyped on when you think about it, like all these songs kind of fit in the same category. They're all short. They all have explosive moments. They all have good solos to them. Like I can't think of really for the 90s any better three to start you off like that. I, I know that Corduroy at the time was kind of digging into this kind of three section, but really it's more of the finale to the whole thing, as we'll see in a little bit, kind of coming behind in my tree maybe spin the black circle can fit in there too and go but these are the definitive three songs at the top of the set that you want every single night 100 percent i'm not gonna argue with you and like you almost can't pick which one is best i mean hail hail is great and especially jeff during the bridge there doing some really really nice bass runs it just sounds like he's again just leaping like we we only have again we only have a partial video from this show so we don't we don't have all of it but it just sounds like he's on another level like playing it from outer space or something and then 
when animals start it just explodes out of the speaker when that first note of animal it's like it goes from like complete silence to a bomb going off in a split second like they are all on that beginning tight as they've ever been and jack on animal just listening to this with my mouth gaping wide open like oh my god this is incredible just i mean every every time we talk about 96 it just jack just blows my mind and like this is some of the best i've heard him in these these first three or four songs yeah jack drives basically this whole show Uh, that's no doubt about it Again, last exit, you're you're going right from another big Jack moment to the big Jack moment in my eyes. That last exit really is a song that is one of his best in my eyes. So it's just a perfect opening three drive. The Ed's vocals are gritty. The guitars are getting space from Jack to reverberate a little bit, especially in last exit. And Ed gives that big holler at the end to seal the deal. This whole section might be coming back at a point later. Just absolutely loved it. Even on the intro to to In My Tree, which comes up next, it's just, how can it be that perfect? does he do that it's wild it's absolutely wild and one of the best in my tree intros i've ever heard oh incredible a minute or so of just booming tribal jungle drums and the guitars don't even come in on it the bass doesn't even come in on it you don't even get you just get ed singing over that and that's it's really all you need and once everything comes in, the drums continue to elevate everybody. And I'm really, for the whole thing, I'm just listening to Jack. And then the soaring solo comes in and I'm, 
I'm able to put the two together. I'm able to blend that. Overall, Jack is just lifting the rest of the band up and putting them on his level. That's what he does best from this era. That's what he did best he, when he was yeah, in the band. He, he was a perfect fit for them at this time. The cool thing about this version of In My Tree is that although it was, you know, soaring and, and had like obviously Jack's rhythm on it, but it kind of felt like it, there was weird hints of garage rock rather than arena rock in this, if you get what I'm saying. Like, it could have been more befitting for the Vitalogy era, the 1995 tour, than maybe in the facets of how they would play it in the 2000s. Yeah, it's got a little bite to it. You know, if you rearrange it a little bit, it could easily have been on Vitalogy. It's got a little dirty kind of feel to it. Yeah, I can I can see that. Going into Corduroy, though, what what's the story again here? I think it's Jack once again, like changing up speeds, changing the rhythm, building to big moments, and you just hear that snare and tom together. That's what's driving this again, and the whole entire band. You, you, this is one of the songs that we have on video here, and we're able to see. And it's another one where at the end, the whole entire band just huddles around Jack and they're like, all right, let's go. And Mike and Jack, again, amazing combo from this show. And this is a really good section to finish this one out. And of course, early Corduroys, 1995, 1996 Corduroys always have that kind of extended outro like that instead of finishing it on a sting where nowadays Corduroys kind of has that like big last chord to, to kind of follow up on and then the chord jump at the end. But yeah, this this has like that original outro to it. And oh, I love when it comes up. It just it has that extra bite when they kind of do that little extra riff in there. And then Stone kind of comes in with uh, the little arpeggiated thing. Oh, all sounds so good. There's even some extra guitar stuff in the buildup. And I think that's Ed adding little melodic kind of thing to the he's like another little riff he's throwing in there and the build-up sounds very good when the solo kicks in like yeah you, you know we we see them kind of like all huddled around jack which is always a cool thing but the solo just explodes when mike comes in like the, the song just takes off and like ramps up completely like up to then it was a pretty good version of corduroy but that takes it to to something really special So that transitions into Better Man, and it's not a spot we're very accustomed to Better Man being in, especially where we sit right now with over 500 versions of this being played. But 1996, even as being a radio hit, 
it really wasn't a specialized live track just yet. We were just about to dabble into the Save It For Later stuff, and even Save It For Later then was more of just a, a one-liner at the end and not sort of its own little breakdown. So I at this point, I don't think that this had elevated to be that specialty live song. And when you think of, of this version especially, this was pretty short, just quick, clean, in and out like and especially being the seventh song in the set just feels odd for this especially at this this point in time better man is such a a staple where it's at the end of the set it's bringing it to kind of a climactic point but better man's sort of thrown in here and and sort of the transition to get you into what is the climactic point of the middle of the set yeah it wouldn't start to be the anthem that it has become until like 98 2000 that was when it really started to elevate but yeah this is just kind of a poppy kind of a simple version of it it almost seemed like they needed something where ed played guitar in between corduroy and not for you right to just keep it on him for the whole entire time for sure and i don't know if he was playing in my tree at that point do you know if i don't think so maybe maybe he puts it on at the end but right i don't i don't not at the beginning so yeah i mean you're right that's three in a row which is you know now I don't think they they worry about that too much because everything is oh, kind yeah. of prof- all professional and yeah. and they got they have it down. Eighteen but, techs who can run out with anything at any moment. Right, yeah, but keeping Ed with the guitar on for longer periods of time is definitely the play for them. Now we get to "Not for You." As I mentioned, this is a big point in the middle of the set. Here, it's pretty fierce. It's pretty lethal. It's everything that you want. And not for you, and more. Because when you get to the middle of the song, when you get to the breaking point and you're taking it down a little bit, Ed decides he's going to finally address the crowd for the first time. Says, how's it going out there? I've been thinking about you guys all day. Sometimes touring and playing, it's like you're away from home. Sometimes it could feel a little bit like work, but I thought all these fucking people, they're just coming to have some fun. That's what we came here to do, too. And then there's this. So now if I'm, uh, we find ourselves playing a song where it's kind of, you know, uh, that's a little bit angry, isn't it? <laughs> There's a few of them like that. But first of all, I want to clarify that it ain't for you, this song. It's not for you. Uh, it's directed towards somebody, uh, a different entity. Uh, I'm going to go on for a second here if I can, because it's kind of nice. Or it's not like you're going to be reading any... Uh, interviews or anything like that, so. Sometimes, like, people who think that uh, they're more important than the people making the music, the people that listen to the music, or the music itself. This is just a reminder that they're not. 
and a half right there and the first thing that i thought of with this is that this is a part two to the porch from randall's island where he wrapped himself in duct tape and talked about the rolling stone article the the hit piece that came out on him because this is essentially still following up on that same idea yeah he goes on to like he and he would he would do this a little bit but not to this extent where you know, not for you. It's like, okay, the, it's not for you. It's about this other thing. And he doesn't mention it straight out that, like, that's what it is. But, like, you get the feeling that, like, yeah, he's still got a lot of stuff on his mind about that. And, yeah, it goes on for a good while. You know, it's one of the best, like, you you know, you just get him off the cuff. You really get to hear what he's thinking about in the moment. Like, he didn't practice this. He At one point, I think he goes, like, Hey, this is this is kind of nice. I might just keep talking. Like I, we're kind of we're kind of having a little thing here, but yeah, it's just one of those little off the cuff moments where you really get a glimpse into what he's thinking at the time. I I really like this. Yeah, and not and, a bad um, version of the song too. Yeah, no, this is a great version, especially after the speech. It just freaking yeah. oh yeah elevates. But you know, I I want to address the sort of idea of the song where I think it kind of is one of these songs that has sort of a double meaning because Ed had always kind of spoke about not for you sort of being connected to a fan that was writing him fan mail that admitted he was a convicted sex offender, and that I think got in the head of Ed, who thought after that to say, these are not the kind of people that I want following this band. It's clearly a song that's anti-media as well, but I think a little bit of that following in there too. It's, It's trying to weed out the people that he doesn't want to have a stake in any of this that he, he wants the fans that enjoy the music. He wants the fans that aren't fucking weirdos to be there and be around and, and appreciate it. That's who it's for. It's not for anybody that is like we said, a sex offender or media pundits that are just going to fucking rip it apart and use it for selling magazines. So yeah, it, it, it can be taken in any different way, but outside of that, the performance is just inspired with that story. It's routine at the time, but we get that little ending. That sounds fantastic too. It's kind of on the same wavelength as corduroy a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Just important performance from this night. Absolutely. We get a combination. This is our first 10 song of the night, I believe. Jeremy is the first 10 one that's being played, kind of packaged together with Red Mosquito. Yeah, a lot of these songs, the theme here is just keeping up with a frenetic pace and having big energy, incredibly tight and polished. And I think Jeremy 
from that standpoint, all sounded very, very good. And remember, this is only a couple nights following the no Jeremy version. Mm-hmm. So this is fast. It was felt it a little bit really fast. Yeah. It, it, oh, it definitely did. Yeah. And I mean, look, the, the next couple songs like speed is going to be the name of the game here, even with red mosquito at the beginning. There's, there's a cool section in this. I'm gonna, let, let's break this down. Red mosquito feels sped up. And they have to kind of keep the momentum up because the momentum keeps raising and raising and raising here, especially off of Jeremy. They kind of have to reach that too. But there's a spot where they kind of take it down a little bit in one of the choruses where they just sort of drop it. And it kind of goes back into like sort of this melodic thing there. the 10th time and again that's a testament to jack that like they know that they can you know you can go down and he can carry it and like they trust him at this point you see it like we talked about in quarter when they're all like going around the drum kit like they are all on the same wavelength and they that did not happen all the time with dave and it, it took a while for it to happen with matt and obviously they've gotten that and beyond now you know 20 something years on but that all is it goes back to having confidence in your drummer that you can do that and kind of mess with the structure of things and improv little things here and there and yeah it makes it makes it really special for us listening to it back uh, 26 years later all right we get into another 10 song that's going to be much faster than the original version and here what I want to bring up is we did black last week and it felt like a pretty energetic, pretty upbeat, pretty fast version of black. And now we get this and we hear this. What did you think of this in comparison to what we had last week? Because I, I sort of thought like with speed wise, okay, both of them are kind of fitting outside the box of the emotional versions of black and they're just kind of using black as it being sort of a barrier in the middle of the set, and especially no even flow here. It's kind of taking the place of that and having a hit. But what did you think of the two comparatively? Because I want to get your take on that. It's all Jack, and like normally, you know, black with Cameron is a lot more in the pocket and like it's almost it drags a little bit and that's not necessarily a bad thing like this it fits the song like the song kind of has to have that little bit of swing to it like it kind of has to feel like it's it's got this pull and it's got this tension like the notes need to hit and like it's very guitar driven but this one feels very much on the front foot and that's all powered by jack like he's just doing something completely different than what matt does on it and it gives it a very different feel and it feels more propulsive and it feels more something that you'd like, oh, okay, we're pushing this a little bit rather than like letting it happen and letting it come. It's just a very different approach. I agree with that. Like, again, they're both 
outside the box of what you expect from black. So that's that's interesting in of itself because usually black has kind of its its role and it sticks to it and it's what works 100% of the time. And I'm listening to this, especially coming off of last week. I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard a version of black this fast. Oh, yeah. oh and no. it was just freaking a run through. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with Jack, but also from that standpoint, like you said, it, it was it was front foot, full gas. A lot on that standpoint, you're thinking to yourself, is it building or is it just full on the whole entire way? I didn't feel like a build from it that you get from Black. Yeah, I think that more comes in the tag that we get. I think uh, maybe the tag even felt a little rushed. Like it felt like normally, you know, something like this, Ed would like take his time and really like you, he would really get to showcase on it. But it even the tag felt a little rushed because of that, I thought. Let's address the tag because our friend Dave Jantash from LiveFootsteps.org, which always uses stats better than Setlist FM because Setlist FM is trash. Throwing because, shade again. Well, you got to shop local. <laughs> why? Why? Why go to Walmart? Why go to the Walmart to Setlist? Go to the local shop. That's what Dave does. And Dave's Dave, great. yeah, of course. And I had a conversation with him after seeing this, and I'm like, so. I don't know the connection that Ed would have to like a Janet Jackson song it's, because he kind of. Yeah, I don't think so either. I listened to the Janet Jackson song, which I never Did heard you? before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted okay. to see if there was a connection to it. Okay. I didn't know it. It's not one of the Janet Jackson songs that I'm familiar with, and honestly, I I, there's, I don't know which ones I'm familiar with at this point. It's been such a long time, but it, it didn't seem to connect. It didn't seem to quite connect, and I think those were just improv lyrics. However, I think it's pretty clear that the first of two David Bowie tags is is here, and we're getting Heroes by Bowie, so that is very cool. Yeah, great. I love this on Black. I think it fits, like, thematically. I wish that they would splice this in a little more and mix it in with, with We Belong Together. I think this is great. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. for sure. Another yes. another Hartford OTOTO for you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'll take it, my friends. Not the last one we're going to talk about. No, no. And that's very, very interesting. We'll hold that thought, though. So Stone says, what's up, Bob? And I don't know who he's addressing. Is Brennan O'Brien in the crowd? I have no idea. Probably not. And then Ed says, my throat is getting a little harsh up here. Help me with the next one. And it's rearview mirror. And it's a good version. Very, very good version. But you can tell that Ed was a little hoarse on this. What I love about it, and I think when we talk about the bridge, especially like 1996 kind of bridges, they base these bridges off of like the guitar parts of We Won't Get Fooled Again. And it makes so much sense for this, the way that the guitars are kind of going off, like very atmospheric, and and they kind of keep going in all different directions. And that's what you're getting from this bridge. It's kind of that same premise. Very strummy bridge, I thought. Right. The Who reference there, did you get that from that? or A little bit, yeah, definitely. And it felt a little bit like them going off and being like, hey, this this is cool. This could be something. This is the time when Rearview Mirror was starting to move back in the set lists where it was, mm-hmm. you know, in 94, 95, it was very early on. You were getting it like number three, number four, number five, even number two sometimes. But here was they were starting to, to play around with a little bit. 
and you're you're starting to see these bridges kind of extend a little bit into that you know won't get fooled again territory and it would just take off from here over the next 25 years rest of the song bass rolls back in and ed asks the crowd for a little bit of help finishing it ed defers to the crowd and lays off the climactic scream there until like the end he kind of just finishes off at the end a little bit but the drums are driving the ending once again and just good version with some interesting pieces and jack finishes it off driving the whole thing and then what, what do you do if if your voice is shot you play lucan lucan <laughs> Well, he's going to get a break after Luke, and so he might as well take the 50 seconds and and use it all up, I suppose. But yeah, speed's the theme, and I think this is where sort of the speed theme ends for the time being at Lucan, and then they kind of shift a little bit, and they're kind of able to to balance momentum. It happened a lot in 1995, 1996, as a matter of fact, and they're still sort of honing their craft with it. But later on, they would kind of figure that small town would be up in the set a little bit more instead of down towards the bottom. But again, I think at this time, you want to go more full throttle than not. Ed says before Small Town that it's the first time they're going to play it on the tour, which is interesting. And it's dedicated to somebody, but he won't say anything more. He says the audience is filled with courageous people, and one of them is up here, and this one's for him. No idea who that's directed towards 26 years later. I think the Five Horizons review said he was looking at someone in the crew, maybe. That could be true. Yeah. Yeah, that could be true, for sure. Now, what I love out of this, from the very beginning, my ears perked up because obviously when you think of small town intros, you got one, two, three, four, two, three. And I don't really know if that was there yet. It was definitely in 1998, as we know from the Live on Two Legs album. But in this, you have that sort of the pretty little intro that leads into the song. again it happens and it's just it's a nice change of pace and it kind of sets the tone for what the song is going to be what it ends up being is a pretty heartfelt version of this yeah very electric you get like the more of the springsteen influence on this one than a lot of the folkier ones that we get now yeah and ed's even going for it on a lot of these lines too in in ways that maybe he wasn't really going like the not my former line like i don't think back then He really dug into that as much. And this one, he is 100% in on it. And that, again, had a lot of heart behind it. And you're getting some depth in here outside of what everything before this was just complete fast momentum. Breaking it up is always good. And then you're going right back into the speedy stuff. Like, Small Town was great going back into the speedy stuff with State of Love and Trust. I don't know if you noticed for State of Love and Trust, it had like an extended intro, but I'm not sure if it was on purpose or not. It sounded like maybe there could have been essentially what, what's going to happen in two seconds or so. Is this the beginning of the technical difficulty? Probably. State of Love and Trust, I thought, again, we haven't mentioned Jack in the last three minutes, so just thought that he just Sorry. popped. Sorry, Sorry Jack. Just a, a fantastic performance, like in the intro especially, just felt like this, that snare drum was just gonna pop out of the speaker and, and hit me in the face yeah very very good and jeff doing again some really good stuff during the drop out there during the the little build-up so good version of state of love and trust but yeah it kind of all falls apart after this 
Okay, this is where, yep, it starts to go downhill a little bit. A live kick starts, crowd goes nuts, and something goes wrong. Stone comments that he's all wet. I have no idea what the two could have been connected to what what that did he did he how? was there a beverage that's that spilled was there I, something that some shenanigans going on maybe yeah don't know yeah. don't know because again not having video for this point on it would have been crucial to have the video and it would have been great to have all this storytelling that we're about to get into but we we don't unfortunately so ed calls a timeout we have an injury back there, which I'm guessing he's commenting on an amp or, or something and asks, what should we do in the meantime? He's taking requests. So they go into footsteps and it sounds like on the beginning, it, it sounds like Stone and Jeff are off of that. And then it evolves into the rest of the band or, or maybe it was Mike and Jeff that were off of it. But I would consider as we brought up in the beginning of this, I would consider footsteps being one of the rare ones at the time, because you sure. think about it, sure. it's a B side. And for the hardcore fans, like they know what it is because it's off the Alive single and it's not getting played a whole lot. They played it the prior night in Buffalo and it's the first appearance on this tour. And also what's crazy about it, like Alive Take Two is going to follow it. And you're not really thinking in this manner, but you sort of have two thirds of an out of place Mamasan on this. And especially yeah. if this wasn't what was going to happen, if this was just sort of an audible, then that connection never really happens. But I thought Footsteps was really good, and they busted out on the fly, working well. Yeah, Ed calls for suggestions, and I think yeah, I think it was just they saw a sign or heard a request or something for it. But I know, bet they, it, yeah, I bet it was they played it the night before, and they're like, okay, yeah, this. Yeah doesn't need the same kind of amplifying as the rest of the songs do but it is an electric like an all-electric swampy like version of footsteps you know you don't get those very often so i thought this was cool and that's going to take you into the last three of the set which i think we have to package all together here so alive gets figured out and alive gets played sounds pretty good i, I think that the two things that i had from it were that we get sarcastic of course there is which is a little bit earlier than I remember that coming up in the set beam because every time, like the benchmark of that, I always think of as Seattle 11, six, 2000, but it, it comes up here and you just don't see it too much yeah. early on. So that, yeah. that was kind of fun, but now you see it all every single show. And then they were on a roll with this and it felt like Mike solo was cut a little short, felt like things could have gone on a little longer. And yeah, I don't know if that's like a hangover from the equipment stuff or what. Yeah, it, it, it didn't have the kind of like, again, not an anthemic, like 1995 Alive where he's like, you know, I don't know why we still play this, you know. Yeah, right. It, a little a little bit of hangover that in 1996 is not something that they were really, one of the ones they were really excited to play. You get the feeling. No. And after the song, there's some like lingering in between. And there's like an extended lick a little bit. but. I don't know if this is the beginning of where this happens because Ed suggests here, he says, we're a little bit cozier. Is everyone okay? I wonder if that's addressing the rush that came. It yeah. has to be right. Yeah. Because according to five horizons, it happens during blood, but we're essentially there. Yes. So he says, I guess it happened because Jeff's security guy pushed another kid and all of a sudden 
that's what you get when you push and shove that hey ed do ed right there but then blood's gonna follow up and this is where things get complicated again having video for this would be very very helpful but hearing the crowd a little bit it's a little tough to decipher so i think right here is where i'm going to share some quotes from five horizons from a review from a guy named seth perlman who managed an unofficial Soundgarden page at the time, who went to the show and wasn't a Pearl Jam fan. It was his first Pearl Jam show and then was kind of sold by the whole thing. So obviously the Five Horizons crew had a connection with that. But here was his take about how this whole thing went down. It says, He had GA tickets, so my friends and I planned to be on the lawn. I realized that the crowd up against the barrier was only four people deep and that I could see over their heads to the stage, partially obstructed. I figured it wasn't going to get much better than that because I knew I wouldn't see a damn thing if I went up the lawn, so I stayed there while my friends went to the grass. Anyway, my plan, and the plan of the other people standing against the barrier, was immediately foiled because everyone who had assigned seats stood up as Pearl Jam came on, so we couldn't see. Luckily, a large group of people jumped the barrier all at once, and in confusion, a bunch of people around me completely toppled the barrier in front of my section, at which point the security people sort of threw up their hands because there was really nothing they could do. I just took advantage of the moment, I jumped into the assigned seats, so by the time that they rebuilt the barrier, I and a whole bunch of other people were comfortably standing in the last two rows of seats. I had a perfect unobstructed view of the entire stage and all the people in the first 50 rows or so. I can't imagine having been in a better place. The row of seats are so steep at the top, there wasn't even anyone in my peripheral vision. Oh, okay. So that means stuff was going on and people were trying to get down towards there because obviously on the lawn there were some obstructive views, which in that venue, it can happen. It's one of these places where your focal point can pay attention to the video screens up on top and the stage is so far away that you see like little figures kind of up there, but again, yeah. it's GA, so there's a lot of stuff going on, but of course most of those people that are going to be in the lawn are going to want to get a closer view. And well, there's a there's another side to that too cuz on 5H it says in reality when the barrier came down, security guards began using pepper spray and the wind was blowing into the pavilion, forcing the people with seats to venture near the stage to escape it, right. making it seem like there was a mad rush to the stage. That's the quote from this. So it's like, there's a little bit of who really knows like which, what was happening. But yeah, some right. dominoes are falling for sure. The security security did not handle it very well. No, and it ended up in a bunch of arrests. And it ended up pretty messy. So let's get to the kind of the second part of this. When the barricade was made, a lot of roughly eight foot sections linked together. The section that was toppled in front of me was about four of those sections all together still linked. The security people eventually stood it up again. Later, we heard a loud crash behind us. And when I turned around, the barricade was down and it was in pieces. So I guess that's what caused the riot police to enter the scene. A little later, I turned around, and they had rebuilt the barricade and added a second barricade about eight feet behind the first one with security in between the barricades. So at that point, it was near impossible to get through because jumping the first barricade put you in the cage with security. My friends mentioned the riot police, complete with clubs, ran into the crowd on the lawn. 
Yeah, if anything, we've learned over the last couple of years is that riot police are very reasonable and will not overreact to any situation where they're quote-unquote needed. Yeah, riot police are basically just adult versions of jocks in high school that want to get in on the fight just because it's a fight to get in on. That's it. And... Yeah, it's pretty shitty, and obviously they're there because they're picking up a paycheck. They're not there because they respect the music or anything like that. So because cops pretty much get away with everything, they get to have their fun. So they had their fun. Everybody got in a lot of trouble, and the police themselves weren't the ones that, that got in trouble because there was, like I mentioned, yeah. there's there's a Kurt Loader MTV news report from this that that mentions the arrests, which I'm sure I played as the intro into this. So yeah, and, but then you just the band is still playing at this point. Like picture them right. seeing this and being like, oh shit! Like you know, we've kind of hinted it. We haven't. I don't think we've covered that show, but the Miami show. We from, have not covered it from '94 that they've talked about. You know where there was the incident, but mm-hmm. picture them on just playing and watching this. Like Ed being like, oh my god! Like yeah, it starts to affect the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think even because I'm trying to get the story down, I'm kind of taken out of both blood and porch here. And, you know, again, kind of mentioned that there are two tags and David Bowie gets another shout out with fame. And then we get a little noise of carpet from Stereo Lab, which was kind of happening in, in and out of the time. But I like that. Everything is happening and, and the band is starting to kind of get a sense of what their surroundings are. But they go on with Porch without addressing anything. And then quickly, once they get into the solo, about three minutes into the song, they just drop. They completely drop. Mike starts just randomly riffing on 25 or 624, which is, uh, <laughs> that's a new one in the Pearl Jam catalog. Yeah, there's, there's your other Hartford OTO. <laughs> Woo, we got Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And then Ed sort of tries to address things here. The people on the grass, they can be as rowdy as they want. You guys, you go fucking nuts. That's fine. But you guys up here, there's chairs. It's like it's like swimming out cold. There's a big mellow up here, alright? Settle down. It's hard to focus on the music at this point because they're just, you're trying to envision what actually happened and it's tough to put the pieces together on it. Yeah, and again, he's forced into this role of like, not policemen, because that's obviously there are police there, but. Right, like, but he like has a voice. He has the voice. Yeah, he has yeah. the microphone, so he has to go into this role. He's no longer the singer in Pearl Jam. He's the guy who's trying to keep these people from getting hurt. And the whole vibe of the show just changes. Yeah. It was a just a fast-paced, momentous kind of show. And then, look, after the encore, they're going to have to come back out with kind of a song that eases things out, that eases the tension a little bit, and then kind of dig back into some of those others that are, are more of the familiar rockers. But I don't know if you heard it, but at the end of Porch... I guess it's somebody, whoever was recording this, kind of says, I don't think they're coming back out. I'd be surprised yeah, if they're coming back that. out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
but they did, and uh, let's see how it all ensues. But we're at the Encore. Let's pause for a second for station identification, talk about Patreon, and talk about liveonfourlegs.com real quick. We can get back into the show, but again, Patreon is always there if you want to help donate to the show, and right now is a really good time to. Every couple weeks, we kind of get on this high of like, we got a couple things coming out, and we're very close to that at this point. But now is a good time to help us out because, again, the tours are coming and we're looking to be funded. We're looking to do stuff on the tour. We're looking to get around and we're also looking for equipment as well. So if you want to contribute to that, patreon.com slash live on four legs. And look, even from the dollar bonus tier, there are so many people that donate to that that it just all surprisingly adds up to a huge amount. That's incredible, and honestly, that's the first thing that I suggest to everybody when saying this every week is that start at the bonus tier for either a dollar a month or if you want to do the $10 a year thing, then you could do that because that's saving you $2, but you get all the exclusive episodes that we've done from basically 2019 on, and you know, there, there might be an exclusive or so that's, that's coming out in next couple days if you're listening to this on Wednesday. I think a lot of people will be waiting for something like this, so uh, I'm not going to tease much more than that, but just make sure that... It could be 1996 related. It could be. Maybe. But we'll see. There could be other tricks up our sleeves, so we'll see. You never know what you're going to get with that, but again, like now is a perfect time because there's so much going on. I'm going to be at seven shows. John's going to be at two of those seven and a lot of other people within the Live on Four Legs world. We want to make sure that we're kind of accounted for a lot of stuff. So if you want to sign up, liveonfourlegs.com will get you to the Patreon page. You can actually just sign up for it on liveonfourlegs.com or patreon.com slash liveonfourlegs, Patreon app, liveonfourlegs. Again, a dollar a month or $10 for the entire year if you want to save a couple bucks. And then later on, if you feel like, okay, I, I enjoy what I'm getting out of this and I want to get a request for an episode, I want to help out the website and join the Horizon leg tier, then yeah, of course, we're so happy for the people that do decide to do that. But just take the little dip. And and I always suggest a dollar a month. That's, that's all you need to do. And that'll get you in the door. And I think I haven't had any complaints. I think everybody seems to pretty much like what we're doing so we're just going to keep continuing doing that yeah i mean at, at this point there's well over i would guess like 100 hours of content on there that you could it, dig into and listen to if you're joining now yeah like honestly you don't need an episode every single day to keep you occupied you can go back to 2019 and listen to all that stuff too because it's all everything we do for that platform as well as the platform that you're listening on right now is pretty great stuff. And obviously I'm biased, but I'm biased because it seems to be great to other people. So I'm taking their word for it too. Live on four is the place to be for the tour and for more tour news and for just things that you might want to read and, and hopefully more predictions kind of things. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully some, things you're not going to get anywhere else. It's going to be, I think you're gonna not going to unique, get unique take. You're going to, we're going to try to go a little bit beyond what you're going to get from some other places and, and dig in and try to get, try to get you some exclusive things that you're, you're not going to be reading about anywhere else. That's right. That's and remember, remember, this is all coming from the fan perspective here, too. It's it, We're not necessarily a news site. We want to bring you stuff that we know that the fans are going to read and they're going to learn. It's something that like you can sink your teeth into and think about a little bit. So we have some stuff on the back burner that will come out 
as we get closer to the May tour and the May dates. So just be on the lookout for that. And again, I think a great deal of what's going to happen also is going to be our Concertpedia entries, as well as we're working on 2013 right now. And some of those 2013 stuff should be out pretty, pretty soon. If you want to be a writer and help out and contribute to the Concertpedia, then just send us an email, live on Podcast at gmail.com. And we're open to getting some new voices and getting some new people writing for us. So if that's something that you're interested in, just listening to a show and then writing a little bit of what the show was about and sort of taking it from an objective perspective and stuff like that, and we'll help you out with it. Like, that's what we're here for. We'll kind of guide you along the way. But if that's stuff that you want to do and help out, like, we love our volunteers. They've been doing a phenomenal job. And we can always, always, always use more people. So, again, hit us up if that's something that you want to do. Back to the rock, everyone. So, they're coming out for an encore, and you can tell it's a little bit uneasy. They don't really know what the rest of this is going to be like. This could be get pretty bad. However, if we've learned anything, if we've learned anything from the 1992 shows that we did in, in Holland, is that after the first couple shows that we did, they were able to finally speak up and say, you cannot do this. If you do this, you're done. You're out. So that's, what's going to happen here. So he's going to make that statement after who you are, but beforehand he says, just everybody sit down. You can all see me. I can see you. The next three words for the next three minutes are going to be peace and love. And do you think they were going to play peace and love off of Mirrorball? Uh, no. For a second, I was like, "Mm, maybe. Yeah. See, in my head, I I wasn't. Yeah, in my head, I wasn't really thinking Mirabal. You know, it's not one that really traces back to Pearl Jam too often. Like, that's that's his contribution. No, I know. But you think of Throw Your Hatred Down, you think of like. Song X and a couple of those other ones that they did here and there, but I don't think Peace and Love has really kind of made the Pearl Jam set as much at as the, the time, other. though. It was pretty recent, so yeah, know. I guess eh, I guess you're right. Anyway, moving forward, the only thing I got in Who You Are is just that the second verse where Ed can clearly be heard saying, Fuck the stage divers. The performance here is is sort of trying to distract you from the situation. And, you know, I think it's kind of still hanging above them. It's not until after that things are good here, because I think there's some tension in the crowd as well. Well, here, too, he does the, the falling fast line, the alternate lyric, which I don't think I've ever heard him do before. That was interesting. Again, it, it had been a few minutes since we had a song that was, was Jack-centric, so yeah, love this here. And Who You Are is just such a unique thing. It's even so much different from In My Tree, the way it's structured and the way it flows along as it goes. And it's too bad that it gets kind of used here as like a calm-down peace offering. Like, hey, we're going to play this quiet one, so stop. You the know, one that we know that you guys didn't like because yeah, it was the, played on radio first. The one that they know no one's going to stage dive to. It almost like deserves better than that. Yeah. But so very good. It's too bad all the other stuff around it. So after the song, he says, it's all good. We're going to keep playing, but I want to change the policy in the front row. Uh, security, listen, we're going to do something here. Uh, usually if you come over the top, you get about two, three chances. 
Uh, you guys, anybody who comes over the top, you're going out. So just stay on the floor. You got it? Okay? You look good where you are. Just stay where you're at, all right? From that point forward, everything seemed to be okay for the next five songs or so. So if Ed didn't address anything, and some bands probably wouldn't really address something, like they think they or like take control. I think that's what Ed really did here is take control of the situation and made it so that he had to be listened to. Some bands would just be like, oh fuck you for doing that, and people would want to do it more. You know what I mean? They would kind of egg people on, and instead of egging people on, Ed was trying to take control of the situation and re-steer the ship. Yeah, I mean, that's what you have to do. Like, people aren't going to listen to the security guards. If someone from the venue comes out and says, you guys stop it or we'll stop Uh, the show, like, uh, no, that's going to backfire. It has to come from him because he's the charismatic one, the the commanding person. So he's the one that that people are going to listen to. So, yeah, he handled it perfectly. I go back. There was like a show in Singapore in 1995 right, right. where the guy starts before the band even takes the stage. There's a guy, no stage diving, no moshing. And yep, it's just like, yep, what the yep. hell is going on here? But that's going to take you into uh, an encore version of Evenflow. And you're going back to 1992. Ed learned his lesson, told the crowd to stop, and they did. He wasn't fucking around. The band wasn't fucking around. And Evenflow. Sounds like they're back on track with this. It sounds like they're in the same momentum that they were in the groove earlier in the set. Solo is tight right in the pocket, keeps gaining steam. Good, rare encore performance of Evenflow. It made me dream about what Jack would have sounded like on an Evenflow solo in 2005, 2006. Imagine if he took that solo. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been something. like a 28-minute version of Evenflow with like yeah. just let him just let him go just <laughs> let him everything just let just let him do it every take a break everybody i mean that's that's fuck you to all the people that are going on bathroom break that's that's what that is yeah so yeah and that's going to take you right in even flowing daughter back to back here and shades go down but tag goes up and ed asked the crowd if they feel like singing and he was trying to think of something to do, but he said, you know what? We did this in New York, so we're going to do this here. So he starts singing The Real Me. And it takes them a couple times. Remember, this isn't the New York and Boston crowd that's all huddling into Hartford. This is just Hartford people that are like, okay, you got you to gotta kind of convince the Hartford people a little bit, I suppose. It takes them two or three times before they really start getting the big response and maybe it's because the crowd audio wasn't as great on this version yeah that probably had something to do with it right but really on the third version ed starts to really growl and make them up their level a little bit but in the ed v crowd battle here it's ed and it's pretty much a unanimous victory (laughs) but i'll always defend the hartford crowd but sorry you guys lost this one WMA follows up, and it's just the first line, then a little extension after the tag, and and that's about it. That's a pretty standard version of Daughter at the time. Yeah, I I like the tags. Again, some really interesting tags in this show. It's kind of been a talking point, so yeah, I thought that was good. So they're going to get into leaving here. Ed mentions that this is on Home Alive, and right before going into the song, says, keep your hands off my sister. Do you know what that references to? Do you know what that references to? No, I don't. On the Home Alive CD... There's a spoken word track by a guy called Bobby Miller, and I don't know his background. It's just a spoken word thing about, hey, man. And it's like it's talking to like these kind of jock guys. It's like and the, the, it ends with keep your mouth off my sisters. So that's what 
that's a reference to is that spoken word thing off of Home Alive. You know, I, I don't think I've actually ever listened to Home Alive, so that would be sense. It's very good. It's worth the listen. Where's the vinyl re-release? The sweet, know, the right? sweet relief is getting a re-release. Oh, it'd have to be, it'd have to be four sides, like because it's a double <laughs> thing. Like it, right? Oh, the, don't even think about that right now with the way those things are getting delayed. It'd probably be twenty twenty six. But there's some very, very good stuff on there. This is a pretty fast, pretty tight version. Ed screeching on the vocals, and you can hear Stone providing a little bit of backups on there as well. Solos, number one and number two, had no idea. I think Mike Stone, Ed Mike. I got, I got the last two. I definitely yeah. got Ed Mike, but yeah. I was not able to decipher between Mike and Stone between the first ones. That, one of them was louder yeah. than the other, but fun performance, fun performance, and really yeah. kind of yeah. the last energetic track of the night. And then you're kind of falling into more mid-tempo building kind of song, which again. This is so interesting to see this as closing an encore in its fourth ever performance. It got a big spotlight when they did it in the second encore at Reynolds Island. Yeah. And from there, they brought it back to Buffalo and then they brought it down to Hartford. So present tense is getting a massive rub here, kind of being the penultimate song of the night, but really they're going to leave the stage after this. So this is going to be what many people might think is their last glimpse of Pearl Jam for the night. So to tee into that, Ed says, Mike and I are going to serenade you in the beginning, this intro, it's just them two. And it it just feels really nice and easy. And it feels almost like pin droppy in a way where there's no surround sound on it. You're just hearing the two of them and all of the background interference and stuff like that, which could have come from a little bit of something from Jack or a little bit of something that Jeff could have added in or a little bit something from the crowd. Everybody's just seems to be dead focused on what's happening. And that everything sort of evolves from there everything from drums kind of coming in to stone kind of coming in and then the vocals being elevated and the song really building to the big moment in the second chorus to the end and that is a key moment to show what this song was going to end up being for the next 25 years it just blossoms into something pretty incredible in this version
the build is very, very good. But it, for me, it when Ed does that part where it's like the the ore in the line where he goes off on that ore, that's where they all kind of like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, this is intense. Again, the fourth performance. Unreal that, Only this, that this should be this good. If they had left after this, like, yeah, close it down. Like, absolutely. Resistance would be a great closer. I don't it know why. Like the the crotch of Ledbetter, it's fine, and I think it sends a lot of people home happy, especially now. Yeah. But boy, present tense now Prince would send a. It's never closed a show. Never. Never. You, you know, here's the thing with present tense. I feel like if it did close a show. I'd want so much more out of it. Like, I'd just be like, no, I'm staying. I, I want yeah. them to come back. It would have because... to be. It'd have to be a long jam at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, that roller coaster and that build just taking you to the end of the song. The crowd has a big reaction on it, too. And like you said, number four, it's hints being teased that this is going to be one of the most powerful live songs for the future. That's all the proof that you need right there. Ed, thanks, everybody, for coming and listening and you would think okay maybe that might be the end that's pretty cool they end on a new song that they don't play very often but no come back for one song encore it's yellow light better so we just thought of another one you guys deserve it you deserve it more than us you guys deserve the world and i hope you get it we're sorry you missed the vice presidential debates fun <laughs> fucking gore and who was bottles ctv uh oh. i don't even remember oh kemp i think it was uh, kemp yeah. right yep. yeah yeah awful anyway read it in the paper the only thing worse than an unintelligent vote is no vote at all it's pretty common quote from ed especially in 96 and 2000 and all that keep your heads occupied have a nice life it was good meeting you all the show went pretty long for the time i would say like it's only a half hour less than randall's 25 is pretty good i think and i know that chris had mentioned like it's not one of the longer ones but i think i think it i think it did pretty decent on time two hours above above average a little bit yeah yeah nothing on the lead better version nice way to close it but little wing tag at the end little wing yeah that's and very short little wing not expanded at all so all right there's the set list now let's get into some top three rankings right here so it's your turn it is up I'm going to go Animal, number three. I'm going to go In My Tree, number two. And Not For You, number one. Ooh, you know, you see, I had three, and I was pretty comfortable with the three. And then you said In My Tree, and I'm like, oh, how do I miss that? But you said it, and that's your staple song, so I'm going to leave that to you. And not add it to into what I have. So number three, I'm going to sort of take what you did for number three, and I'm going to juice it up a little bit and do that whole entire combination. Hail, hail, and animal on last exit. It's one of my favorite top three right there. Give it to me every single time. I don't care if there's no differential on there. That's all you need to get you juiced and into a show. It's perfect. I love it. My number two, I think, is going to be present tense because, again, you're getting that glimpse into what present tense is going to become for the future. And especially so early on that they're able to really tap in and and make the song sound near perfect for the time period. I'm very, very impressed by that. And, of course, present tense is a top three all-time song for me. So I'm all on board for sure. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Number one is absolutely not for you. So no discussion needed because Ed talked about it enough, and he said all there is that need to be said. So 
now get to the point where we're going to rate the show. This could be a very interesting rating, and you're going first to kick this off. So Hartford Bias isn't coming in on your plate, but we'll see Re- what I got. Reverse Hartford Bias. Reverse. It, it, loses, it loses a point for being in Hartford. Oh, come on. Now, now I'm going to really have to dick over Atlanta when we do Atlanta. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, um, this, is, uh, this is a good show. Like I said, it's got a lot of tags, which are which are cool, which lets you know that like Ed was in a good mood and they were feeling it. And obviously, the the Jack stuff we mentioned is very very good. A lot of like the first five or six songs are just incredible, and it sets a pace that this show tried really hard to live up to, but just couldn't. I mean, you can't disregard some of the stuff that happened starting in the back half of the main set there. So I think it affected the show. Maybe, you know, maybe if that stuff didn't happen, maybe this goes on to be a nine, nine and a half show. But for me, it's eight and a half. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. I think that obviously Alive, Blood and Porch need to be some of your top songs of the night for this show to kind of have serious weight to it and fall into that nine, nine and a half category for sure. Even outside of that, I don't, I don't even know if it does hit nine. I think it's very good. I think it has a lot of moments that maybe don't get discussed enough, especially not for you should be one of the big moments that people are taking as in as much as the, the porch moment from Randall's too, too close to Randall's. Yeah. I, I know that's yeah. the New York bias that everybody puts in there. And of course, like everybody in their mother, their first show is Randall's Island and they won't stop talking about it 25 years later. So <laughs> look, and you shouldn't that that's to your test. Like if you were there, continue to talk about it. It, it deserves to be talked about, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's Hartford, so it's not going to get the same sort of attention, but it deserves some kind of, and, and even that we told the story of the barricade and all that and the pepper spray and all that, I think that maybe as opposed to Miami where, you know, shit went down, nobody seems to mention this one as much. So I think I'm right there with you. I think this is an eight and a half. I loved how the main set was just fast and furious and just frenetic pace and then mixing it up a little bit in the encore got off to a little bit of a funk start and i think they were still trying to figure out what was happening outside of the the incident and stuff but present tense to close that out was pretty much perfect and it doesn't happen very often so i got to give that a little bit of credit too i'm writing an eight and a half with that too so as far as the top six go i'll say this I think the way that I have it now, now there's a 2006 show that we haven't done. There's the 2013 show that we haven't done. Spoiler alert, the 2013 show is probably number one, but right now I think in the rating system, it's 2010, which I think got a nine or a nine and a half from me. Then 2008, which got a nine or nine and a half from me. Then this, that got an eight and a half. And then I think 1998 got a seven or seven and a half from me. I think it was seven and a half because that one was a, it was a little clunky for that show. And again, I think that Hartford really starts to elevate once it gets into the later years a little bit. So yeah, this is, this is probably like number three, number four kind of deal when all said and done. But again, if you have, Three or four shows that are, you know, sub eight and a half, nine ratings from any just one city in itself. I think that's pretty important. I think that's pretty notable. You know, does Atlanta have that? Uh, Atlanta has lots of good things. (laughs) Well, you didn't specifically say if they had that. A certain certain Fox Theater show 
one of the uh, one yeah, of the top okay. five all time. We, we we got that going for us. Okay, all right. We I, talked I, about two thousand three, which is very good. You know, I've heard Corduroy. about that Fox Theater show. Two thousand, maybe once or twice. We, we talked about you know Crazy Mary getting the wine bottle passed down. We've had we've had some good stuff. We can we can hold our own. I suppose. Anyway, that's it for this one. And now we have to make an announcement because if you've been following along on our Twitter or our Facebook group, then you know that we've been doing a lot of polls recently and they were happening for like two months and middle of the day when baby was down for a nap, I'm like, okay, it's, it's typing up a poll time. And what we were trying to do was we put together all these different shows for eras and we wanted to find out what you guys wanted to vote for each year to be the show representing the year that we broke it all down to on oh, March Madness style, whatever you want to call it, to four show brackets and kept breaking that down. And we wanted to get to a top two or four. And I ended up doing a top two because I said, you know what? It doesn't make sense to do four, even though we did four the whole entire way. But the top two ended up being the number four seed was Fenway Park. The only Fenway Park show that we didn't do is the first night of 2016. So I believe that's August 5th. So that was one in in the finals here. The other in the finals, Katowice 2000, which was obviously the number one seat. Is there any question of what won? There There shouldn't be. Look, I was a little afraid. Because there were some people out there, we had a lot of Mansfield shows that were involved in this, that that people were very, very high on the Mansfield shows. Because you got to think, a lot of people are voting location sometimes. They might not know what they haven't been to. Like, a, there's all different scopes of Pearl Jam fan here. Even though Katowice is what it is, a lot of people are voting on, like, Philadelphia, Mansfield, location, because they live in the East Coast, what whatever have you. But... The Katowice show made it out of it and pretty easily, like, I think it's kind of like, okay, in the, in the first half, they kept it like a five point game. And then Katowice went out and and scored 50 in the second half and, and came through and, and they're the champions. So next week we're doing a big one, obviously Katowice. And it's really, it's, it's Katowice, right? Katowice. Something like Can, that, yeah. We'll have, we'll have to talk to uh, next week we'll some of our European listeners. And- I've heard it a billion times, and I think that Katowice is the one thing that came, but it's definitely Katowice, I think. I mm-hmm. think that's the way that, or Katowice. Is, uh, Polish is all kinds of fucked up. Yeah, so we will come into next week's episode without any questions on that. We promise. But Ape Man shows, oh, no doubt about it, it's going to be a real good one. Can't wait. It's been on our list for a very, very long time. Thank you for making it happen, everybody. And you know what else you can make happen? Well, you can go on Spotify, Apple, if you're subscribed over there. If you're not, then you can subscribe over there. And you can leave us a comment. You can rate the show because that helps our visibility everywhere. Let us know. Let the people know what you think about what we're doing, what some episode that you've listened to that you like are. And it just keeps more people circulating, popping in. And, and I think this is, again, the most perfect time to do it because Pearl Jam is on a lot of people's minds right now. It's all building up to the shows. we got shows coming. Up. I know it's tough to kind of remember that because last couple of years they were nowhere to be found, but now this is really where we're going to settle in and, and find our groove going to these shows and having it represented. So hope to see you all at those shows and hope to continue having you guys on uh, listening every week. So 
thank you all for doing that. Hopefully you enjoyed my somewhat of a hometown, outside of a hometown kind of show here, which, no, I wasn't at because I was 10 years old at the time. So <laughs> there, there you have that. Showing my age, as most Pearl Jam fans are probably 10 years older than I am. But anyway, got to end this one end it properly this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways and miss you already miss you always from hartford to poland that's a big distance in between yeah we'll we'll see you all next week i know you're coming in so get ready for that it's going to be pretty big see you then we're surrounded by heroes Oh, you're the man, man. You're the man. You're the big man, man. You ever notice there's always two of them? They're never alone, like a coward's tag team match of sexual harassment. Hey, man, does it make you feel like a man? Hey, man, keep your mouth off my sisters. (laughs) 